0: The postpartum hemorrhages that happen, that's not immediate postpartum. That can be days and weeks after that women can start bleeding and can die. It's pretty clear it's a lack of community.
1: Hello, hello, hello. It's Christine Marie Mason, your host for the Rose Woman podcast, where every week we talk about something that might bring a little bit more liberation, freedom, freedom from taboo, more joy, less suffering, particularly around how we see ourselves in our embodiment, how we see how we're related to others and to the planet. And today we are gonna talk about midwives and you know better models of how we care for the beautiful women in the world. So whether you're a woman yourself, or you have a daughter, or you were born of a woman, or you love a woman, or you're just curious about life in a female body and how we might do it better, After all, that's half the people on the planet. I'd be curious about their life experience. I want to say that midwifery or home care, community care for women in all the sexual, sensual, reproductive aspects of their lives is a really beautiful model and also produces better health outcomes. I had three hospital births before I had a home birth, and those hospital births were pretty... Stressful. You know, I think the first one was like forceps and tears and nurse harassment and just not fun. And the second one was easy and lovely and fine and I didn't know any better. And the third one was like he just jumped out basically. It was two hours and done. So by the time my fourth child arrived, I had had a lot of education and exposure to more holistic models of living. And I wanted to really fully experience this birth and have a more relaxed environment. So I had a couple of beautiful women in my life, Sylvia Croce and another woman, Eva, who lived in my neighborhood who'd both had home births and were committed to that kind of trusting your body lifestyle. And another friend um, who'd become a midwife up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So between them, I was referred to Chicago nurse midwives. And so by the, the time that I started that, I, I'd had all this experience, but being with a midwife was totally different. You'd go for your well-baby, well-mommy uh, pregnancy checkup, and you'd sit and you'd have tea and you'd talk to other moms. You'd talk about your birth plan. You'd do all of the things that... Um, were the qualitative and nervous system calming uh, aspects of getting ready to have a child. There was education. We also had agreed on protocols for the day of the birth, what would happen and what would happen if something went wrong. So um, it's July in the Midwest and you know I've been floating belly up in the local pool as much as possible, swimming laps every day, really trying to um, stay cool and stay active. And, you know, it's like 100 degrees and sweaty. And finally, the day arrives for him to be born. And my husband was not home. He was out doing something. But my next door neighbor, who had delivered babies in Vietnam, I asked one of the kids if they could just pop over and uh, knock on the door and... um, see if he could come by because my water had broken. And then uh, he did, and the midwives took their time getting there, but it turned into this beautiful, ecstatic, orgasmic birth experience where he was born at home, we had just the people we wanted there, he stayed cuddled up and in relative quiet for the first four or five days after the birth, and I got to heal. And it was just such a different experience of trusting and being in control of my body and the outcome was a perfect healthy baby boy so you know I have some direct experience with the midwifery piece the aftercare was also beautiful but I was surprised even with what I know that for um, midwives now they don't just help with bringing babies into the world Uh, they provide care for women at all stages of their sexual and reproductive journey from the first period to post-menopause and in preparation for this episode i wanted to check on the data of what are the outcomes for healthy women who are having a baby whether it's in the hospital or it's a planned home birth or a birthing center that's more standalone or or even a birthing center that's integrated and the data is pretty surprising. Uh, if you have a baby in a hospital, you're 10 times more likely to have labor-induced, five times more likely to have it augmented or hurried along, four times more likely to have an episiotomy or a cut, a surgical-assisted birth, five times more likely to be referred for a cesarean section, much more likely to have severe perineal tearing, and all of this with no better outcome for the baby. And it's not just the birth itself, the model of the way we think about care, not a 15-minute office visit, but a surround sound community that sustains the family, supports the family ecosystem and the mother in the critical times of preparation and postpartum, uh, that that stuff is uh, mental health and postpartum care that doesn't even get captured in the difference between a traditional birth and a, an out-of-hospital birth. So. During COVID, there was a big uptick in the interest in home and birthing center births. Um, Countries from Canada to the Netherlands had already proven the results. And then in 2021, there was this really incredible article in Frontiers in Sociology that provided extensive data on the safety, economics, and logistics of pivoting to childbirth at home or in freestanding birth centers during covid and that also laid out some of the misleading summaries of the official statements from some of the industry associations. When you look at the underlying data that's in the studies that the industry association cites, they're not really telling the full story. So you you know that there are a lot of vested interests in keeping things the same with the birthing industry and the death industry, both of the, the way we enter this world and the way we leave this world. So as with all things, it's helpful to be informed and to decide for yourself. So that's one of the reasons we're doing this today. It also relates heavily to do you trust your body? Do you trust women's bodies to know basically what they know and if they were educated and uh, supported that they would know how to bring forth life. So today's guest is a midwife at the Tourmaline Birth Collective in San Diego. She is one of the Rosebud Woman partners. Uh, She's also the founder of Box for Loss, which we talk about in this episode, a much-needed gesture to diminish the isolation, grief, and stigma of unintended loss during pregnancy or birth or postpartum. She also, by the way, had three hospital and one home births and served for many years as a doula before going through the vigorous and extensive training to become a certified midwife. So we begin by talking about the breadth of what midwives do. a little bit about th- this full range of what you do you you said preconception and then i heard menopause so it sounded like it was much more of a whole person well person rather than just what we would think of as traditional midwifery like you're pregnant all the way through the fourth trimester so you're really seeing it at a, as a full women, women's wellness collective
0: yeah that's one thing that has not changed in midwifery and if you look if you go back hundreds of years and even further i'm sure or in indigenous tribes, where a midwife or a medicine woman, you know, she would help catch babies and guide moms through labor, but that was also the person they went to, the whole family would go to. I don't want to use the word medicine man or medicine woman, but they did much more than just catching babies. Because you're, you know, that if you start this education, and you talk about health earlier, you know, and you at 11, 12 years old, you're talking to a young woman about her menstrual cycle and what's normal. And she sees her mom, her auntie, grandmother giving birth, you know, through marriage, giving birth and menopause, like cycling. If all of this is talked about around them as very normal and there's no like stigma put around it, it opens up the conversation. um, And you're being able to relate, like you said, have out, when you were talking about the cycle class, you said, have everyone, you know, women of all ages in there. That's why, We try to attract and we welcome people of all ages and because we think it's really important that we try to build a relationship as early as possible with someone. So if we have clients coming in preconception, just talking about nutrition and how they can support their body, supplementation, they give birth. And then afterwards, it's like, how how can we create community for them? And a lot of the time it is matching them up with people in the birth world that have already been through this stage of life and we're helping them move on to the next one. Community is huge. We're trying to avoid postpartum depression, which is huge in America. We have a really high postpartum depression and psychosis rate in the news. We've seen many tragic things lately. The last two months, we've had several um, deaths at the hands of mothers that were experiencing psychosis. Um, So we want to get in there we wanna be, we wanna build a community really, really strong to avoid these things. And then as people move on, you know, we have women now in their 30s that are educating their mothers in their 50s and 60s. And they're bringing them in. And we have women now that are in postpartum or past that period coming in to treat UTIs, or they're having hot flashes. So they're like, what can I do to help balance my hormones or vaginal dryness, you know, all the normal things that we experience in that time of life. And we have practitioners that can help every step or every symptom that they're, experiencing whether it's seed cycling nutrition we have we can also prescribe medications. so if we need to if someone needs that we can go ahead and have them see our our naturopathic doctor um, or see the acupuncturist there's no reason why age should make it um, inappropriate for you to be working with a midwife because it's all about the full cycle and we need to be educating people early in life that this is available later in life does that make sense? Like your midwife should be work that should be who you see instead of a gynecologist.
1: Yes. And, you know, I love this idea that, you know, the w- women who for whom the information wasn't available, that they can turn toward women in the middle in midlife and say, hey, teach me, you know, it's all it, it, it. There was just so much that was hidden or shamed. What do you think is behind this postpartum depression wave?
0: We've talked about this a lot. It's a discussion that we have with our naturopathic community and many midwives and the fact that we see it more here, when we have um, clean water, when we have a pretty good food supply, you know, we, we talk to our clients about it. So we make sure that they have the ability to buy good food. And so you look at other nations that don't have those things and they have a lower postpartum depression and um, psychosis rate. So what we've seen is it's a lack of community. So during pregnancy, they can feel very alone Normally we work way too long. We work way too far into, you know, getting close to the date of delivery. We only have approximately six weeks of disability after you give birth. They can, usually it's like six weeks leave. When you look at other countries like France and in Europe, you have over about a year and then your partner has time as well. So you're not doing it on your own. We see moms that have six weeks of leave. The partner, sometimes it can be days, And they'll take a few days in the beginning and they'll straight, we see them trying to stretch it out or separate it. So they're not using it all at once. So the mom can be alone pretty, you know, within days or weeks after giving birth. So she's not able to rest, she's not being fully nourished. Mm -hmm. So if you have malnutrition and sleep deprivation, you put those two together, that leads to psychosis. If you look at, this is a weird thing to compare it to, but psychosis, when people are using drugs, a lot of the times it doesn't just come from the drug. It's from them being awake for three days. And then they go into a psychosis state. So when the moms that we've worked with, with that we've seen going toward leaning towards psychosis, like more than depression, we see that there's a lack of sleep. And they it's not just, I, I'm not able to sleep because the baby's awake. They stop sleeping. So there's a hormonal imbalance. They're not eating. They don't have the support system. They don't have grandma, auntie, You know, cousin there to make sure that they're in bed resting. So we try to use midwifery to replace that community. And we create meal trains for them. We're going to their home and doing postpartum visits. We're asking them during the prenatal period, who's here to help you. And if you don't have anyone, let us help you find someone. So we require all of our clients have a doula. So a doula, you meet early in pregnancy, Mm -hmm. you create a relationship with A lot of them do postpartum care. They'll come in and prepare meals. Um, We educate and help our clients do meal prep. So if they don't have family members, or even if they do, like prepare meals now, put them in the freezer because you're already depleted. You're already depleted. We know you're going to lose blood. We know you're going to be tired. If you don't have the ability to follow like Ayurvedic medicine or Eastern, the way they they look at birth um, in Eastern cultures, they... You know, they're in bed, they don't touch the floor, they're eating warming foods, things to nourish and heal the body, you have a wound, you know, I don't know if you can see like, but bigger than this, inside, internally, where your placenta releases, you have a very large wound in there that is, needs to heal, and it takes a long time. So that when I was talking about the maternal mortality rate, the postpartum hemorrhages that happen, that's not immediate postpartum, that can be days and weeks after. That women can start bleeding and can die it's pretty clear it's a lack of community we don't have people there to that know what's going on that know what support we need emotionally physically um and what our family needs you know and it's not just the woman the partner needs support so it's just we we're lacking community
1: it sounds like in an environment like yours you can provide a lot of cross learning opportunities and connections too like people are taking classes together they're able to cross support each other in all of these different stages so it's like a community center versus a one to one relationship with the healthcare provider.
0: Yeah, we do have very close we have a one on one relationship but what we know we can't be there for everyone like there's only, you know, 5 midwives in our center but we by creating the new like having a free new parents meetup, having a free breastfeeding support group, which we have with the chiropractor that we partner with. We have free miscarriage support visits. So having all these groups, when you show up, the childbirth education class is real important. It's five weeks every Wednesday night that's included in their care. So they're, they're meeting families. And maybe the first visit, they don't click very much. But as you hear other people's stories and they open up and they're sharing, by the end, we see A lot of really strong relationships being formed plus they're forming relationships with the doulas that attend and the educators that attend um so yeah we're trying to build community we have that was really cool we on instagram we see moms posting and there'll be 10 babies celebrating a birth you know the first birthday of one baby and all those babies were born at our center so these moms have created these relationships we introduce them You know, and they're coming to see us three months, they come in and they do a vaginal steaming or yoni steaming. And we let them know, like, this is not the end of your care. This is just moving on to the next, you know, now what what phase of life are you in now? So we want to make sure we're maintaining contact with them. We see really good outcomes from that. And that's why we want to share this. It's not to tell people about our birth center. We want people to understand this model of care and we want them to try to replicate it and let's look at the countries that are doing better and let's try to, we can do it. Like we have the ability, we have the resources in this country to support women better. And we're in it, you know, there's a definitely a crisis in women's health.
1: Plus, there's a lot of, you know, a lot less physicians going into birth care, OBGYN numbers are down. And um, so it's wonderful to have this broader community support with better outcomes. And also it addresses sort of a problem in the uh, demographics of the industry as a whole, or the sector, I guess. What would be an ideal birth team? Like who, You you mentioned a doula, and I think a lactation consultant. But if you were preparing, like if it was your daughter having birth, who would you want on her team?
0: You know, at the birth, we talk about every single person that's going to be there, because you don't want too many people. Every person needs to have a job. It's not we don't want people coming in just, it's not a spectator sport. So we talk to them, like every person that's in there, it can add an hour to their labor because in the old, and I'm a mom, so I can say this, my daughter, do- none of my kids, I have a 28 year old or 29 year old daughter and my 31 year old son, him and his wife are trying to get pregnant right now. So I'm very aware, like I've seen when we have family members at births, moms can cause either be wonderful and be a wonderful, you know, addition to the birth team, or they can really make it difficult. Because it's hard for moms to see their daughters suffering. If they're not really, if they don't understand midwifery care and they haven't given birth unmedicated, it can be really hard. So when it comes to family members, we say make sure they understand and support and feel safe with your care providers. Other than that, it's finding a midwife or an OB that you feel very safe with and that you can talk to. If anyone rolls their eyes or mocks you for asking a question like, about let's say or um, cord clamp like when do you cut the cord you know i've had doctors that laugh at that but it's a really important question and there's a really good answer and it's actually very beneficial if you do let you know cut the cord later so making sure that your care provider answers every question you have gives you choices true informed consent um, i think that's very important and we educate our clients it's not just midwives like You go to an OB, you go to a gynecologist, go to a cardiologist. I don't care who it is. You need to have a care provider that will answer your questions and respect if you have a reservation about something, you know, and and trust your instincts. So a midwife, we know if you're low risk, we recommend midwifery, but a doula and postpartum care. So planning postpartum. If you have a baby, we want to make sure during the birth, you have someone to Take care of your child so that your brain can relax. You're not worried about your other children. But postpartum, having someone to prepare food for you. If you can't, you know, if you don't have family members, making sure that you have someone to do laundry, take care of the kids, cook. These are all things that we suggest, by the way, that you put on your baby shower list. Like you don't need very many baby clothes. You don't need very many things for a baby. So ask for prepared meals ask for house cleaning you know ask for childcare. ask for laundry ask for a postpartum massage those are the things that are going to help you provide better care for your child so your team is really all of that
1: you do not have to do it alone yeah i think that's one of the biggest messages in general with most things it's like we can rest in the field of community if we can cultivate that and build it we don't have to do all this stuff alone So we're kind of trying to reinstate the community of women that would naturally have existed in a less separatist society.
0: That's exactly it. It's like uh, everything I just mentioned to you, there would have been someone in their community that played that part, that provided that service naturally. Like I said, auntie, grandma, cousin, neighbor, we don't have that here. So, you know, it's going to cost money now because it's not a family member. So it's preparing and not being embarrassed to say, listen, we have plenty of clothes and diapers like but what we really could use is postpartum you know a night doula that comes in and helps with the baby in the middle of the night especially for parents that have to go back to work at six weeks need to make the most out of that six weeks and lactation counselors and support is really important because even though we love breastfeeding and we know that it's the best for baby it's not always easy so let's you know help support moms and teach them that it's okay that it's stressful that it might be painful there's things that we can do we recommend all of our clients see um, a chiropractor for craniosacral or for chiropractic adjustments because we have a lot of babies especially now and this is another topic but a lot of tongue ties we don't know exactly why that's happening but um, craniosacral is something that's really amazing that can be used to help resolve or um, make breastfeeding easier by doing adjustments on baby. On the baby. Mm-hmm.
1: You, you wrote a blog um, that says that midwifery care can significantly reduce the number of abortions. And I was wondering if you could speak a little
0: bit to that also. So I did not write that one, but I know what you're talking about. It, I believe Josie, our um, clinical director, wrote that. And it's, again, it's about community. So we have, we know that a lot of people feel like they don't have options and they don't, they feel hopeless. i want to start off. We have a lot of people that have come into the center um, unpartnered and we try, we're creating a program right now specifically for that, but we make sure that we meet as a team to talk about how to support that person. So if people could come to their midwives, to their community and let them know the situation they're in, if they had hope, if they knew that they had this, the support and they could financially and emotionally take care of this child and that they were going to have a community, wouldn't it, don't you think they'd feel less hopeless and like there was no other option? Definitely less pressure. Yeah. So that's how we... We feel we want everyone, you know, everyone deserves to be able to make the choice they want, but we don't want them to feel pressured into doing something because they feel alone and because they feel like they don't have the support they need. And being a mother, even being married and having a family, I've been in the position where you don't feel like you have enough support and you can't do it all. I was a single mom with three kids and had to work and feel like you can't provide for your your children. Much less your self-care. You never feel like you can take care of yourself in the right way. So being able to educate people that they have somewhere to go, which is why we started our nonprofit. We have a nonprofit associated with the center as well, where people, it's not only for affluent, it's not just a trendy thing, which we see on Instagram, midwives and doulas and birth centers seem kind of trendy, but we don't want that to deter people. You deserve care no matter what your financial status is or your background, you deserve the same care. And you deserve to go to a beautiful center. It doesn't have to be community health care that is really unappealing and cold and can leave you feeling alone. Like you can go to a beautiful birth center and you can have relationships with, a you know, a good relationship with your midwives. And you can find childcare or find a pod or a community that where you can um, share. We have a lot of women um, in our center doing nanny sharing or childcare because they have to go back to work. So it's like, being creative and figuring out how we can help each other.
1: That's what I long for. I spend a lot of time in an intentional community on the Big Island. It's transgenerational and the difference between living there and waking up and doing a um, yoga practice and cooking a meal together and you know, being able to hand off childcare, it uh, versus the dominant culture is just it's so vast. I really feel like if I could see one move in the world, it would be to bring that to urban environments, more group housing, co-housing, cooperative childcare, more living together in general. I think a lot. You said France is where you were really inspired by that. We've seen so many things in the Netherlands and in Denmark that are doing co-housing
0: so well, um, but I don't think I've seen it here. It's amazing. So I think the movie is Happy. There's a movie called Happy. And they show that co-housing and it's in a Scandinavian country and there's it's there's a single mom they're interviewing and they all cook. I think they just have to cook like they cook for the entire community once a month. So they all enjoy meals together and there's older ones that live there. So this mom, she's like, I remember her saying, even though I'm a single mom, my kids have grandparents and my kids have aunts. And, and it's so beautiful. It makes you so emotional because... I think it's so important for, for us to realize the beauty and community. We're really into, I love what you're saying. I love that you're living that way here. we're um, Younger generations are really into getting like, we want to share our feelings. We want to feel heard. We want to be respected. And those are all important things, but it's not the most important. I had someone tell me that a practitioner recently, she's like, those are not the most important things in the world. She's like, you need to open your eyes and you need to, rise above and look at what's going on. What's the most the most important thing you can do is how can you help someone around you? She's like, that's gonna change who you are and fulfill you. And that's gonna create community. Instead of just focusing on ourselves and getting what we need, like usually when you open your eyes and you're look looking around at what other people need, you end up getting the support you need as well. And that's how you build community. And I thought it was really beautiful. But that movie is awesome, the, the movie Happy, and it talks exactly about what you're saying.
1: Yeah, the thing, the, interesting that the other movement in the community, because we try to do these attunement practices, and one was, the most recent one, was what if we just changed our entire mission to becoming the best listeners on earth? Like, what if you could listen, like, to your own needs and to, and to the person you're speaking with, and to nature, and do it not just with your words, but with your whole body and your energetic system, like your craniosacral person would be doing, listening to energy currents. And, and what would it be like to be walking in the world in such a way that you were really aimed at being the best listener? I mean, that's the heart of care, it's the heart of like, un- and and it's not self-abnegation in the way of like, I won't take care of my own needs because cause the other core principle is like taking care of your own needs and stating what your needs are is helpful to other people because then they don't have to worry that you have unspoken needs and be scanning the room the whole time. They can be, you're clear you're saying and that they know you'll speak up and say dude i am tired could somebody please cook dinner tonight other than me you know that that's an important thing to be able to ask for help yeah
0: but it can't be the only thing that can't be the priority in your life or it's like you have to come first if you're not healthy you can't help others right but it can't take over your life because then it's like a constant search for happiness search for being fulfilled oh yes Yeah. You're just no. thinking about yourself all the time.
1: And people aren't happy when they're thinking about
0: themselves all the time. It's we that on social media. It's <laughs> hard. What did you post today? Yeah, I don't remember if I posted anything yet. I was answering questions on social media because we're doing uh, something called Motherhood Monday and we're posting oh. birth stories every Monday. And a, a mom reached out and sent her birth story. Well,
1: you're using it in the right way as education and inspiration and community building not as narcissistic supply. You're really doing important work. Another thing we've been reading a lot about um, with Rosebud is orgasmic birth and ecstatic birth and all of these altered state of consciousness and power that comes when you're fully able to feel the birth moment. and, And also when a child can enter the world quietly you know, without the shocks to the system that the child's in cooperation with the mother. Someone just brought us Ray Castellino's birth work and it was it was mind-blowing. And there's, there just is this feeling that, look, I'm really glad that we can save mothers' lives in childbirth in extreme circumstances. I'm really glad that we're past the point of people getting infections from doctors with dirty hands and all the things that used to happen. But there is a balance of returning to the natural wisdom of our tribe, of our indigenous land-based selves, and coupling the way humans are designed to live with technology.
0: It's really beautiful. We get to experience a lot of different, you know, it's, San Diego is very diverse in its culture, and we've been able to see really beautiful births. I had a family that I got to support from Somalia, and so I got to learn about their their traditions and ways to respect what they believe in the way they live, And he requested silence in the room after the baby was born because he wanted his voice to be the first one that was heard. And he said a prayer, which I thought was really beautiful because when I gave birth in the hospital, it was loud in and out nurses walking in and out talking about their life. There's alarms on the wall every time there's anything, any need. Um, It's just, there's no ceremony around birth. And I think this is what you're getting to is like, we have a ceremony, you know, we spend Tens of thousands of dollars on weddings, it's a ceremony, right? Where it's the unity, it's bond, it's beautiful. We spend a lot of money and energy on that ceremony. We spend a lot of energy on funerals and money. It's a ceremony. But birth and death, so coming into the world, has become a medical thing. We don't feel like we should have to spend money on it. We want whatever insurance offers is what we're told to take. And there's no ceremony around birth, which I think is one of the most important moments in life and then death when you're dying it's really hard to find good hospice care at least from my experience when my dad died it was we created it luckily my cousin is a nurse and we created our own at our house which they give you the medications to help this person go to sleep and die basically but there's no they don't support you in that ceremony so but after you're dead they're happy to take thousands of dollars to cremate or bury someone and and help you with the ceremony at great cost. But where the medical system is supposed to help someone come into the world and go out, zero effort. It's what they, you know, it's minimal effort. Someone being born, it's just, you know, another person in the maternity ward normally. And then when someone's dying, from my experience, the people I've had die in my life, it's just another person dying. I think that's really sad.
1: Yeah. I've only, I mean, getting into the alt world, you said we want to make it less woo woo, and I was like, you know what? I have an I, I have and, yeah, I, I have like all these traditional upbringings, and I can't tell you how glad I am for the woo woo. I love it. Like just- like, it's so good. Because 43% of people, according to this article I just read, have had true grace, unity, consciousness experiences that they cannot explain. And so they don't tell anybody. Like I feel that the longing for the reverence, the ceremony, the woo-woo is like still in us and we've been like trained to numb from it. And you talking about that, like I remember my friend Adam when his mother was preparing to die. He, had, he set the house for a week and a half of like candles and musicians coming in and playing and her friends stopping in to visit. And it was like a 10-day
0: potluck of people coming and expressing their love for her and just kissing her goodbye. And that's what we did for my dad. It was beautiful. Like my aunt was there and my brother was playing guitar for my dad. But in the hospital until he, till they sent him home, it was the worst experience I've ever had. Like I still have not healed from that. And I don't think it's the average human, like the average person in society that is, the woo-woo statement was more from the medical system. But I don't want to sound disrespectful. Like they do. When I, I have attended many hospital births and the comments you get from most doctors is they don't understand the education. They think we're just basing everything off of faith and, you know, dancing around in a big skirt around a fu- you know with a stick waving like that's how you feel that's when it's, even a doula when i was a doula some doctors are amazing but a lot of them have it's very i don't know if it's like competition or they think we're trying to challenge their education because they are very educated but so are we you know it's like there's a place for everything so the woo woo statement i i don't feel we're woo woo and i don't i'm right. glad you brought that yeah and also
1: can we just say it, that doctors are traumatized. They're abused, they're traumatized, they have like the highest rates of suicide, the drug abuse, divorce of almost any profession. They're worried about getting sued. You know, you look at what a, what you go through to go through residency and it's basically abuse. People who are emergency room physicians work back to back 12 hour shifts and they don't even get a break for lunch. You know, there's like, it, and so all of that congestion and tightening is living in them whatever the snapping at the doula or the skirt twirler whatever that is that's coming out of a difficult locked up place that is built into the system and they're pressed for time there was a piece in the ceremonial component around this quiet birth and this collaboration between the mother and the child and the father and who's in the room and i was wondering about the designing of your birth like this envisioning thing that you go through maybe we could just close about uh, in talking a little bit about that like I, I remember when my fourth was born they had us do like an ideal birth plan who do you want in the room what music what food what's the environment like and you know that was a point before the secret so I didn't know what they were saying but it was really about getting this and I was so young like you this intentionality behind it and, and like really de- trying to just design something that would feel authentic
0: to you. Are is that still part of the process? So what you would say, what is your birth plan? Like that's normally even hospitals say, what is your birth plan? You'll bring your birth plan in midwifery. One of the hardest things. And we talked about a little bit earlier is teaching people. We want you to have a plan. It's mostly education and postpartum. The, the birth, the actual giving birth is letting go of expectations and untraining your brain from what you've seen in TV on Hollywood forever, the woman or water breaks and she's screaming and running into the, you know, the w- w- birth is very scary. It's portrayed as very scary and very traumatic. It is very intense. Um, it can be very quiet and peaceful as well. So we want people to to um, give in and not have an idea that what they want their birth to look like exactly. You can have the people there that you want, the music, but the biggest part is educating yourself um, so that you understand what physiological birth is and that you feel safe. Because we don't know how long your labor is going to be. We literally have had people hire the same doula as someone else, expecting the same outcome, and I'm not exaggerating. We've had people say that they want to have a baby within under 12 hours. They only want to push for an hour. You know. So when they come in with these expectations, it can be real stressful because they're probably going to, especially first time moms. Once they pass that point, they feel defeated. So we want to make sure that people know that it's not, it's the baby, the mom's brain, but also baby, baby guiding labor. You know, we don't, the baby is the one that initiates labor. The baby's like, oh, it's time to come out. And there's something released and labor starts when there's everything's within normal we're used to being able to go to the hospital and say i want to go into labor can you induce me i want an epidural so i don't feel anything um and if i'm pushing too long the baby can be cut out so think about that if that's the norm only two percent of people give birth out of hospital so everyone else this has been their norm your birth plan really needs to be just about relaxing and giving and entrusting and not having expectations as far as the actual birthing physiological birthing process but Creating a plan is amazing. Like the food that you're going to eat after, you know, what, when the baby comes out, like you said, the ceremony of it, do you want music playing? Do you want silence? We try not to touch the baby before the parents do. We really want this to be their experience. If we have to, of course we will, but, and we try to hold space the whole time. We don't walk in the room talking about what we did yesterday. We don't flip on the lights. We also have to chart like you do in the hospital, but we do it quietly. We do all the things that sh- should be done for every person, even in hospital. You can honor that no matter where you're at. If you're in the hospital route, you can honor this process. And I've been at births in the hospital. I have had nurses that get it, and they are it's amazing. They'll keep the lights off. You know, They'll let the mom get up and move around, encourage her to move around, because we know that that cuts back on cesarean rates. Um, I'm not answering your question. The question is just like letting go. That's the most, and planning ahead planning ahead for your postpartum period and you know, not having expectations of how long you're going to labor. <laughs> Don't do that. The average mom, it's like 12 to 24 hours or 18 to 24 hours is completely normal, but we see two three-day labors all the time, all the time. And we're talking about induction at 39 weeks if you're in the hospital. But the first time moms, the average mom goes into labor at 41 weeks, 41 in one to three days. So why are we you know, stressing at 39 weeks? why the baby isn't out.
1: Yeah, like 42 is normal, even like 43, I mean. 40,
0: it used to be 43. With midwives, we, so now the law, we can only have people give birth with us within 37 to 42 weeks. So it used to be 43 weeks. So now at 42 weeks, we have to risk them out unless they're in active labor and they have to give birth in the hospital.
1: But isn't it imprecise? Very. Ugh, okay, well, I can't even imagine that because they, mine all were, were like, they wanted to stay in the oven much longer
0: it. You don't know what's developing. They're putting on brown fat. They're gaining weight. There's a reason they're in there.
1: Yeah, they were 10 pounds, 14 ounces. That was that was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. Is there anything that you would like to cover that we didn't cover?
0: No, I just want to encourage... The reason I w- we really wanted to talk to you is we love your... Com- I love the products that you sell and the, the products that we have in the box for loss. We've gotten really good feedback. I use it myself and i love how your marketing and your it's all different ages we we really want to encourage women of all ages to seek out the providers and the companies like yours the the beautiful products that make them feel good you know like self care should not end at 45 or it doesn't mean you're never too old for that and you want to see a midwife for your for your pap or your mammogram or your thermography like find somewhere beautiful that that honors you and makes you feel You know, whole. And I I just want to encourage that. And we have the box for loss, which it would be great if you could post about for women that have suffered a loss. Um, There's a lot of resources on there. We also have our nonprofit, which is thrivewellnesscollective.org. And we provide funding, subsidize the costs for anyone that is in need or wants this type of care, whether it's any of the well women or the well person services that we spoke about, birth services, chiropractic, public floor therapy, any of those services, people can go on on our website. They can make a donation if they want to support it, or if they need help, they can also apply on our website.
1: I would like to talk about the box for loss for a minute. First of all, thank you for saying the nice things about the company. You know, when I started it, it really was about integrating like plants and self-love as a philosophy and no shame and about... You know, my daughter's a designer and she was helping me out in the beginning. She's also a skincare junkie. And and then during COVID, because her primary work is ceremonial dress, there were no more ceremonial dresses to be made. I got her full time. And now she's president. And so it's like I, I get to work with my daughter, I get to work with one of my boys. And the community is, you know, I think our youngest employee is 17 and our oldest employee is 70. Like one, this woman who is a really integral part of our packing team, and so there's that. It's mostly women. We do the first day of your period, first and second day, just take your take it the day off. I know I'm getting double anyway when you're ovulating, so whether you want to or not, so it all works out, and it feels really sweet, Allison. It feels like we could live and we could live and work this way. Oh, I love that you do that. That's in your business model. Yeah, everybody like it's like you know what? We're just I don't have anyone to prove to. I don't have to sell the board of directors this thing. I don't need to control people. If they're not there and they're not like thrilled to be working with us and it's not evident from the way they show up, then they shouldn't be there anyway. And people who are feeling that way, if they need a day or two to deal with whatever's going on in their body, not only is it respectful to their humanity, you know, it's like, uh, it's also a good decision for the long arc of the company. It's like integrated. So, So that's been a big thing. And then, I just was doing some research on women's rituals, and I did a whole series of rituals for miscarriage, and um, rituals for, for miscarriage and even um, abortion, pregnancy loss, basically, child loss. And I came across these Japanese lost children gardens. Have you seen these? No. They're, they're amazing. Here, Mizuki Kuyo, the Japanese ritual of mourning the unborn. Oh, Yes. These little gardens are all over Japan. So if you lose a child you, or a pregnancy you take and you put a little statue in these gardens of unborn children. And all your all the women come together and then you know you can put outfits on them in the winter if you want or like you can, you know, or leave them. And then this is in the south of France. This is the cave of Mary Magdalene. It's also for the unborn. And in the cave of Mary Magdalene, she is shown kneeling at the base of the cross with a baby in her arms.
0: It's so beautiful. It's like headstones, except for these of the little... But they're
1: little statues. They're little things. And, and, and that, that you don't mourn alone. When I was looking for imagery to support uh, miscarriage rituals in the West, it was all these pictures of women by themselves
0: crying into a hat because they don't. So here we're not supposed to tell anyone until we're 12 weeks because you might lose the baby. I'm like, well, you're going to lose the baby anyway. We always tell our clients, if you lose the baby, you're losing the baby. Now you've built a support system. People that know you are pregnant, they know what you need. So with box for loss and as midwives, we're always telling people, please still build your community. That's why we have the remembrance wall. We have all of the babies that have been born at the center on one wall And across from it is the butterfly wall. And if you've lost or had any type of pregnancy loss, you can put up a butterfly because it still happened. It doesn't matter how far along or how early you were. If you told anyone, if you didn't, you're still suffering. Um, And we don't believe that you should suffer alone. And we have a high percentage. So these also are lumped into that postpartum depression number that we have in this country. So it's really, it's important to honor that process. And we have women that have postpartum hemorrhages, uh, home alone, don't know what to expect, what to do. They don't know how to have a safe miscarriage at home or if they're doing a chemical abortion or if they've had, you know, they just don't educate women. So they go home and they handle this alone. So,
1: And, and the other thing that I didn't know is like, of course you're pregnant. After a miscarriage, you're going to have all of the postpartum chemicals that you would have had if you had had a baby and like you just think oh i'm gonna take this pill or i'm gonna or this happened it happened and it's over but it's months until that clears out of your system
0: and we don't educate people they give them that pill and they send them home within a matter of hours and they don't check up on them so we we have the program for them to come they can call we're trying to build it we want midwives all over the united states to be answering the phone to be doing these visits So we have them in our area in San Diego and we're trying to grow from there is just create where women can call and have a visit with someone to to look at them and humanize what they're going through and support them. And you're not alone because you should not be going. You You need your tribe. You need your village. It's really important.
1: You should not suffer alone. You should not celebrate alone. Basically, you don't have to do it alone. So uh, if someone is, uh, tell us how the Box for Loss gets distributed and and how people who know someone who might need that, how would they get that?
0: The website is boxforloss.com. So you can go on there. And on Instagram, it's again, just Box for Loss. It's pretty easy to find. We just redesigned it. So they're working, they're rebuilding the website. So there's going to be more information on there, Um, but they can still order the boxes right now, all the same. We make all the products. They're all organic, all artisan, handmade. Um, A lot of thought goes into it. The tinctures, like physical and emotional support, the teas, they're all specifically for, you know, to help support a woman and help her heal, whether, like I said, whether it's emotionally or physically. Our psychotherapist has put in, There's a quartz to use for meditation, and then she has a womb meditation to read. There's journal prompts. Your daughter, actually, when I met her at the Doula Collective, had a beautiful, she had told me about with her situation, she wanted to share some poems that she had written. And we've been, we've talked about that many times. I loved meeting her. She's very kind. You guys look similar. You remind me of her.
1: Yeah. Sometimes you, you hope your kids are going to be cool. And then they turn out like a lot better than you she's in that category
0: (laughs) i'd love to read i don't know what that paper's for what you're doing with it but i would love to have it and read i'm gonna be dr christine yeah i'm getting a
1: phd so that's for school. it's for school i'm 57 and i'm in school and running a company
0: (laughs) it's like insane (laughs) it's like your fifth life i was a i was a makeup artist I've, I have every job that you can think of. And then at 40, I'm like, no, I'm going to be a midwife. You know, it's,
1: it's it's blending, you know, like my work and embodiment, uh, love of the plants and nature and the sort of yoga, philosophy, science and philosophy kind of I just love all that stuff. So this is at the intersection of that women's embodiment plant. Medicines and knowledge, not just psychedelics, which is getting way overplayed. It's like, yeah, okay, we get it. These things do work, but there's like ten thousand plants that can heal you in different ways. Like, you know, let's broaden our view. And then, and then these these world, like, how does your cosmology determine whether or not you're happy? And like the cosmology of separation has fucked us over. So I'm done with this. In my last class. That's so amazing. This term, and now I have to write the thesis and.
0: But see, I want you to share that with people because I love that. I see so many people that feel that because of their age, they feel defeated. And I did. I was I felt I was one of the oldest. There was one other woman that was near my age when, that we were in mid. We were free school together. But, you know, it's never too late. And honestly, I don't you probably feel the same like what you're doing now at the age you are. You probably wouldn't have as much to offer if you did it 20 years ago.
1: Plus, uh, you know, what do you, you have, I had four kids. I had four and I was a single mom and I was like, if I could feed them, (laughs) keep my job and love them and like have some fun and occasionally have sex, (laughs) that was like a win, you know? So really that what they don't, this period of life is like, I mean, I'm more occupied than I was then from a sheer time perspective, but it really is following like, what's your body of work going to be over your lifetime? Then I'm like, I got 40 more years. If I live to the age of my grandmother, I'm like, I got a lot, a lot of years left unless the world explodes. And it's just going to get worse from here on the wrinkles. So I might as well just forget about that and see like, what, how can I serve? What can I learn? What beauty can I create? And think of it more in those terms. But 50 was a milestone.
0: Just enjoy it.
1: I was 19 when Jarrett was born and we put this poem inside of the birth announcement. Khalil Gibran's on children, and a woman who held a babe against her bosom said, "Speak to us of children. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit." Not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you, for life goes not backward nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children, as living arrows, are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with all his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hands be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. We also did this, by the way, in church choir at some point. When something like, Your children are not your children, they are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. Something like that. Of course, I don't remember. It was too long ago for me to actually get it right, but you get the idea. So uh, thanks for joining me on this show. I have a couple of amazing topics coming up in the next few weeks, and I really am enjoying the way the show is spreading. So that is by word of mouth. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your community, text it to someone you like. And if you're desiring to encourage and support the ongoing existence of the show, then please give it a rating or a subscription on either Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, the two platforms that carry the most weight right now. So all love, remember you are as perfect as the day you were conceived in the mind of life, the day you were born, and none of that core essence of essential, awesome beingness has changed. Be well.